All right, Mickey here with an advert for BetterHelp Therapy Online. You all right? Such a small question and sometimes such a big question too, eh? Now, regular listeners will know I am no stranger to depression and while over time and with the help of some decent counselling and brilliant friends and family, I've established a toolkit to help when the constantly dripping tap of life gets a bit too much. That does not mean I am a stress-free human rainbow skipping through meadows. I mean, who is? We all carry around different stresses, big and small, and sometimes we can deal, and sometimes it's much harder to cope. Life, innit? Right now, I have a teenage puppy to deal with, and although I love her very, very much, she can be a lot. There, said it. And as quick a fix as it seems to say, I'm fine, I'm fine, and push it all down into the big inside box and put that lid on. For me, that hasn't been a great long-term solution in that if I don't get it off my chest, it will at some point come bubbling up and it's never been one to pick its moments in a good way. I find talking means I can avoid it exploding out of me like a messy emotional volcano all over my nana's carpet. Also, during my various times in talk therapy, I discovered that saying something out loud or writing it down can make it seem much more manageable than allowing it to swirl around and grow ever bigger in my head. If you're thinking of starting therapy, Give BetterHelp a try. I've found knowing how to reach out is sometimes the toughest bit, but BetterHelp is entirely online. Boom. Which means it couldn't be easier. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist, then work your sessions around your schedule. With more than a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Standard issue listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash standard. That's betterhelp.com slash standard. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Outside the box. Hello and welcome to June's. It will be June by the time this comes out. June's June Outside now. the June Box. June now, Hannah. Is it? June the first today. The intro of Outside the Box is always basically like me. <laughs> it's like, what day is it? Doddery old. <laughs> is it Wednesday? Anyway, I'm joined by Mickey. Watcha. And just Mickey. Listener, you can play the role of Jen and be horrified at that yourself. You're welcome. Okay. I've seen quite a little of quite a lot. So it's going to be many but short Does that make sense? No, no. But it is Wednesday, so you were right there. Yes. Okay. Gentleman Jack has come to an end. I talked about it in the last Outside the Box. It's been brilliant. And there was also, at the end of the series, there was quite a sweet documentary called Gentleman Jack Changed My Life, which was about a bunch of women, some of whom were in their 50s, 60s and 70s, who had realised that they were lesbians after watching... Gentleman Jack. Oh, go go those women. Or realised that it was okay to be a lesbian. Some of them, I think, knew they were lesbians, but had never really come out. And it featured a couple of younger girls as well. 
describing themselves as lesbians, which is quite unusual nowadays. So that was quite sweet and nice to watch. Julia, obviously, we loved. Sarah Lancashire is my Emmy prediction for Best Actress this year, but I don't think you'll actually get very good odds for that because she was so great. I think she'll be everybody's prediction for Best Actress (laughs) Emmy this year. That obviously came to an end, and when it ended... Which was since the last Outside the Box, they announced there would be a series two. We're sometimes not keen on series two. I need to know the point of series two yes, before exactly I commit. Exactly that. Yeah, because I feel like it was such a gorgeous story, beautifully told, and beautifully ended. Yes, but then again, if they managed to tell a bit more of her life in that succinct and lovely a fashion, I would be up for watching it. Oh no, I'll definitely watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Spreadsheet is on Channel Four. It's a sitcom. I saw a couple of them before I interviewed Kayla Ellis, uh, which you can listen to if you go back through our back catalogue. That was a couple of weeks ago. I'm starring Catherine Parkinson. It's quite a lot of fun. I would advise that people watch it. I haven't really got a lot more to say about it other than what I said in that interview, but I thought I'd mention it here because it is telly. And the other thing that we mentioned really succinctly i would say at the in the last outside the box was inside number nine as opposed to outside number nine which i've written in my notebook i suppose we tend to start off each episode outside number nine before we go (laughs) inside at number nine well exactly which actually we thought would be long finished by the time that this episode was released but it's actually not been on a couple of occasions because of other things i think i saw someone go what women's fucking football so i'm guessing it was women's fucking football (laughs) that um if jen was here she would be able to tell us that obviously steve pemberton and reese shearsmith's anthology series which is now in its seventh series Mm -hmm. six episodes some of which were originally written for series six but were held on to because some things were easier to film than others in lockdown conditions a number of good people in it as you will always find i have to say i didn't like this series quite as much as i have liked others got one left haven't we we won't have by the time this goes out because it's on tonight tonight as we discussed in the last one i thought the one with diane morgan and mark gatiss was terrific yeah and i was also a big fan of the one with daisy haggard and daniel may's yeah, I thought that one was a lot of fun. It was called Kid Slash Nap. There were some other ones that I weren't so keen on, but there is always some other ones I'm not so keen on. Yeah, I thought one was a little bit Stephen King and didn't really appeal to me. You always have to be a bit cagey because your husband once said to me, what about the one with the vampires? And I was like, oh, great, that one's ruined for me. <laughs> We've only been married a year. I'm not going to start apologising for my husband. He meant it with enthusiasm and love, Hannah. <laughs> There was one. I was just about to watch it and my brother rang me and I, I it was a minute in and I pressed pause and answered the phone. And then I said to him when I left, anyway, I've got to go and watch what looks like it might be. Enter name or film here. And he went, yeah, you just ruined that for yourself. <laughs> so there was one I spotted what was going to happen within the first minute. But nonetheless, I like what they do and I, they don't all have to be for me. So I'm quite pleased with this series. Mick. Yeah, the same, really. I think the amount of genres they tip their hat to is always incredible. And some of those will be for you and some of them won't. But I'm always blown away by how clever they are, even if 
like in the last one I watched, which has got Jessica Hines in it, I worked it out really quickly. Yeah. But I was still like, well, then then I get to be impressed by my own cleverness as well. And so I felt smug for a bit. And it was lovely. Thank you, Steve Pemberton and Reese Shearsman. <laughs> and yeah, I just think they take those genres that aren't necessarily funny and they still inject humour into everything. I just yeah. think they're really brilliantly talented. Agreed. Okay, sticking with the BBC, there is something, it's a single drama, I think it's about an hour and a half long, it's called Floodlights, starring Gerard Keynes, who is probably still best known as Ian from Shameless. (laughs) Yeah, that is his for life. (laughs) (laughs) As real life footballer Andy Woodward, who was the man who... He gave an interview in The Guardian, uh, allowing himself to be named in, uh, in November 2016, saying that Barry Bennell had abused him. And at that point, the Barry Bennell saga unraveled quite quickly. And saga, disgrace, not saga, disgrace. He was jailed in 2018 for abusing 22 young men in his care. I watched about the first half hour of it and I actually had to stop watching it because it's really good. It is really good and Keynes is really good and Jonas Armstrong is playing Barry Bennell in this and is also very good and it's really fucking uncomfortable. Mm. In addition to that, and not to make my drama worse than everybody else's drama, that interview was given on the 16th of November and I think by about the 28th of November, Barry Bennell had been badly assaulted in the street and it was a big news story at the time. Between the 16th of November and the 30th of November when this unfolded also coincides with the worst two weeks of my life and I actually found it quite stressful watching it because it made me remember yeah, like something there. really terrible yeah. where I was in November 2016. So I found it doubly hard to watch. That said, my brother, who had exactly the same trauma at the same time as me, said it was brilliant. And I know Jen has watched it and Jen said it was very tough to watch, but really good. So I will revisit it at some point. But I think fair play to the BBC for making it because I think it's important that we talk about it. And I would also say, you know, great job by both of those actors, but particularly by Jonas Armstrong, because nobody wants to play a paedophile, but somebody has to do it. And well done for him for throwing himself into that with the sort of, you know, vigour that probably disgusted him when he had to do it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, great job. That kind of stuff is always really tough to watch. It's always really uncomfortable. And, like, obviously stuff happened to me as a kid, which was awful. And I find it hard to watch, but I am so glad it's being made because it is mm. so important to have those conversations now if the bbc could do a similar job on you know jimmy savile that would be good they are right? doing a thing for jimmy savile well yeah but will it be the same i'm interested as to know whether the bbc will look at itself as closely as it's looked at other associations. actually is it the bbc the steve coogan thing yeah no it's it is the bbc well let's see so as everyone knows as I've said it loads of times, I've cancelled my Netflix for reasons that we have covered already. But basically, I just don't think there's anything good on it. So I've been auditioning some other TV <laughs> channels in the last month. So I've got a couple of other things to talk about. But I thought maybe, Mickey, 
you could talk about the big news on Netflix this month, which I haven't been able to watch. But in truth, I probably wouldn't have watched if I had actually still had Netflix, which is the long, long, long awaited, if you like that sort of thing, return of Stranger Things. Three years since Stranger Things 3, Stranger Things 4. I'm not going to lie to you, Hannah. It all got off to a disappointing start. (laughs) (laughs) Verging on upsetting for me, because I guess the big change in Stranger Things 4 to what has gone before is that the series has gone full horror. I mean, obviously, it's always dabbled in the horror genre, but now it is horror tropes and gory effects galore, which means I watch a lot of it by not actually looking at the screen. Do you think this is because it expects it has the same audience, so it thinks its audience just got three years older? Yes. Right. I do. I also think they just are up in the ante every single time. Right. So clearly... Also, it's always loved a homage, tipping its hat to everything 80s, everything horror, everything sci-fi that's come before. And I've got to say, that's all getting a little bit tired now, to be honest. (laughs) Apparently, the whole of the 1980s was just a series of cool kids with mad hair dressed in bright colours at roller skating rinks. (laughs) I tell you what, the background cast is costume party enough now to be distracting rather than adding anything. Also, Hopper's not dead. Not even a spoiler, given season three's heartbreaking ending was revealed as all for nothing about a month after it aired. So yeah, the show's main cast remains. Winona Ryder, David Harbour, Finn Wolfhard, Billy Billy Bobby Brown, different, Millie Bobby Brown, Gayton Matarezzo, Kaylin McLaughlin and Noah Schapp as Joyce Hopper, Mike Eleven, Dustin Lucas and Will, respectively. So the kid cast are now late teens in real life, but still playing high schoolers. Fair enough. And yet the rest of their schoolmates appear to be in their mid to late 30s. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that is what they did in 1980s films, actually. But it's really fucking jarring, as are most of the high school hijinks, which dominate the first few episodes. Yawn, just yawn. I am four episodes in and so far I mainly think it's wasteful of time. At an hour 15 each, the episodes are too long, drag scenes out, it has too many moments that are either repetitive or spell things out in a way that is insulting to its audience or add nothing to plot or character. It's wasteful of its talent, putting cheesy as foot lines in their mouths, we've heard them all a million times before. It's wasteful of its special effects in that they are massively over-egged. We get it, Netflix, this is big budget. But most of all, it's wasteful of the love it has built in its audience since its initial 2016 release, giving us a hackneyed script and a cliche-ridden plot. To that, our heroes are currently dispersed. The gang will, I'm assuming, eventually get back together again. But we start with Eleven not having a nice time in California without any superpowers to protect her from her very many bullies. Seriously, the whole town is involved, including some of the adults. Although, as I mentioned, they are almost indistinguishable from the kids. (laughs) Hopper is somewhere in a Russian hell. Joyce is attempting a daring rescue, but Hawkins is in danger because of course it is. That's what being the source of a hellmouth will do to a town, just <laughs> ask Buffy. Anyway, this time the upside down has spewed out a nasty, corpsey wizard that I can't look at, straight out of Dungeons and Dragons, sucking the souls from the town's most troubled teens and leaving their bodies broken. Now, this might be the weirdest point for me to get positive about Stranger Things 4, but here we go. Fechner, said monster, appears very much to be a metaphor for depression and teen suicide. 
Stechner exhausts victims psychologically, their mind becomes a prison as dark as the upside down, before brutally murdering them. As someone who has suffered from depression, the terrifying grip Vechner gets on his victims, that inescapable darkness, really struck home. It's really well done. And as we know, our teens' mental health is a real issue right now. So I am tipping my hat to the Duffer Brothers for finding it entertaining. Because for all my whinging, it can still be very entertaining way to address this important topic. Anyway, like I say, I'm four out of nine episodes deep, so I will keep watching and hopefully it'll get better, it'll get sharper. It has definitely improved since the interminable episode one. However, one final whinge. It is doing that annoying thing of making the season a two-parter. Seven episodes out of nine are available to watch now, with the other two landing on July the 1st. Because, I don't know, Netflix is milking it? Yeah, I'd guess. Do you feel like you're missing out, Anna? (laughs) Not in the slightest. You can tell immediately who Stranger Things audience is because I noticed the other day that Kate Bush was trending on Twitter because a load of teenagers and maybe early 20 have discovered that there's this singer called Kate Bush who did this song <laughs> called Running Up That Hill and it's amazing. Has anyone heard of her? <laughs> Does she tour ever? In fact, I get annoyed when people use Kate Bush songs because I think that you're expecting Kate Bush to provide the emotion. And it's not her that's supposed to be doing that job. It's the actor and the writer. I've got to tell you, they use the Kate Bush song really, really fucking well, actually. Because I would totally agree with you. And it's really overused as a song as well. But it really works. And we've just heard that I've got, like, nitpicks about Stranger Things 4. But actually, that isn't one of them. It's really emotional. Fair enough. At least they didn't use this woman's work because I'm just sick to death of people using that. Give it time. We've got five more episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Should we take a break and come back with more, with more chit chat? I've got some cold tea that isn't going to drink itself. So yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Welcome back. So a couple of dramas that I wanted to talk about, both based on beloved novels by female authors. So of course we have to mention them. Let's start with Life After Life, based on the novel by Kate Atkinson, four-parter. I think it started in early April and ended in mid-May, so we haven't talked about it before. It is available to watch on the iPlayer. A couple of friends of mine, my friend Emma, told me to watch Life After Life because it is her favourite book. But she did tell me she would not watch it because it was her favourite book, which is fair (laughs) enough. And my sometime partner in crime, Paul Kirkley, he is a massive fan of the follow-up book, which is called A God in Ruins. Despite the fact that everyone I know seems to love her, I've never read any of her books. Anyway, Life After Life is based on a character she's called Ursula. She's born in 1910 to quite a posh family in the bit of Buckinghamshire that I don't come from. And she dies when she's born and then she is born again as she progresses a bit further and she dies when she's about five and then she is born again, all at all the same time as the same person. And she's continually reborn and gains some sort of instinctive idea. She's really troubled by deja vu, obviously, but she forms some sort of instinctive idea that this is a bad or a dangerous thing that maybe she has to fix this time to make sure that she doesn't die and eventually starts to wonder 
whether she isn't coming back for a reason. There mm-hmm. isn't some greater purpose to why she, when she dies, she doesn't actually die. It just sort of, to be fair, I don't know if it resets time or I don't know if she's born into another sort of timeline that is not explained, maybe explained in the book. Ursula is played by Thomasine McKenzie, the New Zealand actress who people probably know from Jojo Rabbit. It's also got Jessica Hines, who is always great, Mm -hmm. and Jessica Finley-Brown, who is also always great. And James McArdle, who people might remember as the bad priest in Mayor of Easttown. He's actually a British actor, and he plays her dad here, and he's totally lovely in it. They are all doing a cracking job. It is a beautiful BBC period drama Mm -hmm. set between the wars, What's not to like? Well, I suppose what's not to like is that it is quite miserable because we constantly (laughs) see death. (laughs) We see death constantly in it. But, you know, it was a perfectly entertaining thing to watch. And if you're going to have to spend some of the bank holiday with perhaps, you know, I don't know, your mum or someone, then you're going to need to watch something and you haven't watched it. Maybe this is a a family pleaser. (laughs) Everyone would get something from it. Do you know what I mean? Mum, mum, come and watch this. There's loads of death in it. There's loads of death in it. Oh, my mum loves that shit. (laughs) Yeah, she loves that shit. So yes, tragedy filled, but nonetheless, kind of hopeful, I suppose, at the end. Made me think that I might read the book. So there you go. If you're listening, Emma, sorry, you saying it's the best book in the world didn't make me read the book. (laughs) But an above average BBC drama did. (laughs) Every outside the box, we learn a little bit more about Hannah and Levy. <laughs> Second beloved book by a female writer, which we have already mentioned on the podcast, is The Essex Serpent by Sarah Perry. There is an interview gendered with Sarah in our back catalogue. Oh, it's like excellent. It's such a lovely chat. Sarah Perry's second novel. This is made by Apple TV. I've seen four episodes because that's currently what's available. This is the Apple TV audition. This is how it went. <laughs> yeah, so far I've seen four out of six episodes. I have seen some reviews that were a bit damning of it. I have to say, I don't think that it deserved those reviews. However, I don't think it's it's not fully great and it could have been fully great. You have read this book, haven't you, and really liked no. it? No. Oh, sorry. No, I've read After Me Comes the Flood. I read that one and I really liked it. I own The Essex Serpent. I don't know why I've never read it. If I own a book for more than about six months and don't read it, it tends to disappear into the pile and then never gets read. So it's about a character called Cora Seaborn. She's been living in London with a husband who was horribly abusive to her. And when he dies, the sort of liberation that she feels that she's no longer... Oh, this is Victorian, so, you know. The liberation she feels that she's no longer under his, like, abusive eye. She decides to take her son to the marshes just outside Colchester, where there has been alleged recent sightings and strange events that they believe is down to a mystical serpent who lives in the marshes. And... What happens after that? Which is a nice premise to start with, mm, you know. Yeah. She is played by Claire Danes, who is very good. But I do have a couple of problems with it. And we might as well start with Claire Danes. Frank Delane, who I've never seen in anything before, but apparently is in lots of stuff, plays a doctor who is sort of trying to woo her. He's a doctor from London. And I have to say, he's really cracking in it. Now, Claire Danes is early 40s. 
and he is early 30s mm. but looks younger and having not read the book i don't know how old either of them are supposed to be well in the interview jen talks about this and sarah talks about this and cora's younger in the book than claire danes is in real life right well claire danes looks early 40s that sort of relationship becomes unrealistic from a historical perspective because no 30-year-old man is chasing a woman in her early 40s if he wants her to have children. Do you know what I mean? It, I have no problem with older older women being paired with younger men, but in a historical perspective, it doesn't seem believable. So good as Claire Danes is, she looks to me a little bit too old for this role. Mm-hmm. A bigger problem... <laughs> Is Tom Hiddleston. Who... Is he selling um, supplements? Because that's that's when I like him the most. He appears to be, I don't know, selling aftershave or something. Nothing about Tom Hiddleston is period drama, which is odd because he kind of looks like if he hasn't played Mr. Rochester, he should play Mr. Rochester. He probably has, hasn't he? But everything about him screams 21st century, the way he speaks the way he looks, the clothes he wears. He's wearing a tuxedo at one point of it. He looks like he's in an aftershave advert, like genuinely. (laughs) But also I think partly to do with, like, so part of that is is Tom Hiddleston's acting. And part of it is, I don't know, seems to be to do with the writing because he seems to parent in a very 21st century way. The character seems to be very 21st century. So, I mean, great. Some people were progressive in those days, you know, but the fact that it's paired with this performance that seems like he doesn't realise it's a period drama in the same way Nicolas Cage doesn't realise that Con Air is a comedy. Do you know what I mean? It seems (laughs) to really jar. Maybe it's a trend, right? Because I noticed in Stranger Things 4, there's a lot of anachronistic activity. So at one point they're having dinner and they've got bread and Jonathan says, oh, pass me the olive oil. I'm like, that wasn't something that, you know, was done in America in the 1980s, dipping bread no. in olive oil. That's that's much more modern. Yeah. But, I mean, I can't even explain it, Mickey. He, he, he act, he's acting exactly the same as he acts in that advert. <laughs> I fucking love that advert with <laughs> Phil Wang's take on that advert, though. I'm going to watch it again after this. <laughs> Wrap it up, Hannah. Come on. I'll try to be quick. Yeah. <laughs> So, there we go. Also worth a mention, Gerard Kearns, he is also in this, as is Clemence Posey, who I'm also going to be talking about later again. Yeah, nice performance by Hayley Squires that brings the, you know, ladies' help role a bit beyond saying, you know, yes and no. She has some more stuff to do. And also Jamal Westman, who you and I have seen as Alexander Hamilton in Hamilton. So, yeah, good cast. But, I don't know, make of it what you will. Moving on, also auditioning Amazon (laughs) series. I watched 10%, which is based on a Netflix series. Netflix, boo, what's that? I don't know, never fucking heard of it. Is it Call My Agent? Call My Agent, yes. And it is a British version of this that is written by the same guy, uh, John Morton, he's called, who wrote W1A in 2012. And it does feel very mm. W1A in 2012. So it was a good pick as the person to write it, except oh, no. that it isn't as cynical in tone as W1A. 
and 2012 are. So it doesn't quite... Were they not documentaries? I thought they were like... (laughs) (laughs) So it doesn't quite sit that sort of humour. So although it's really evident in the early episodes, in the later episodes, that sort of falls by the wayside. I mean, the cast is led by Jack Davenport and it has got loads of actors playing themselves to varying degrees of success, I would say. Some people just don't seem to be able to, to manage to do it. I'd say... <laughs> that which seems weird, right? <laughs> yeah. Kelly MacDonald and Clemency Posey both do a really great job of it. But there are some other people that, I don't know, I just didn't feel quite so comfortable with them playing themselves. But actually, the best things in it are Prasanna, Pooh Wanaraja and Lydia Leonard, who play two of the agents in it. And um, Lydia Leonard also in Gentleman Jack. Everyone's in two things that I'm talking about. Maybe that's why they find it so hard to play themselves, Hannah. <laughs> Both really, really likable performances. Yeah, I liked it. Oh, it's also got our friend Becky Humps in it, Rebecca Humphreys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked it. I'm sure if you watch Call My Agent, you'd be like, oh, God, it's not as good as Call My Agent on whatever channel that's on. But <laughs> having never seen it, it's, yeah, it's quite likable. It was quite easy to trot through. It's been recommended to me by someone who tends to have similar tastes in television to me. And I had also seen it had a cracking cast and read some lovely reviews and now your review. So, yeah, I think I think I can access it without having to audition any sort of streaming service. So maybe I can watch that. Great. Now, there's some other things I've actually watched, but they're not really on telly yet. So I just want to mention them briefly and we'll, we'll no doubt talk about them next month. The Midwich Cuckoos, which I think starts tonight as we speak, but maybe not. But it's definitely this week. On what channel? On Sky, based on the 1957 novel by John Wyndham. If it says anything about the sort of cultural impact that that book had in 1957, is that any child that my mum doesn't like, she refers to as a midwitch cuckoo. And still now, any child that she finds a bit weird or creepy, she's like, oh my God, they're a midwitch cuckoo. Yeah, I've heard of it. I haven't ever read the book, but I've definitely been around adults who have used that phrase, not at me. Oh, have you know? But yeah, Yeah. we've used that phrase. Sorry, I've been around adults, like I'm not 45. I've been around adults. Yeah, I've been around grown-ups. Didn't like it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it has already been made into a a film, but it was retitled Village of the Damned. Mm. That says everything about it, that people still, they don't say, oh, it's like the Village of the Damned Kids. They say they're like a midwitch cuckoo. Anyway, it's set now in modern times. Basically, the principle, if you've not heard this, is that a village becomes sort of, or a small town gets that's in a nice part of, it's in the made-up county of Windshire. But So that'll explain to you. In the shires, you know, in commuting distance from London, in this small town, just suddenly becomes cut off. Everyone passes out. Everyone just faints mm. and nobody, anyone who goes in to the town, they also faint so nobody can go in and help them. And this goes on for about 24 hours. And in this, you know, their mobile phones have been cut as well and everything. They can't, mm-hmm. they can't even send a drone over because like the, the way. Drone faints. Yeah, sure. Exactly. You know, it's like sending one over Chernobyl in Chernobyl. But anyway, <laughs> then they all come to. And discover that all of the women are pregnant. Wowzers. And the, 
this is the plot of the midwitch cuckoos what's going to happen what the fuck are these women pregnant with etc etc this is led by keely Hawes. we always like a bit of keely Hawes. i watched the first episode it could spiral out of control it could become brilliant <laughs> i don't know so we'll talk about more of it next time but be aware that it's there to watch if people are interested way more interestingly i would say also on Sky coming up, and I think it starts on the 16th, is The Lazarus Project. Papa Esiadu, who I fully adore. Mm, and he's brilliant. You and, you and I saw giving Lenny James a right run for his money in Carol Churchill's A Number earlier this year. So if you want to audition Sky or Now TV, get in there. <laughs> also coming really soon to Sky, We Own the Night. David Simon. Are you excited? I am a bit, yeah. I am so, a bit. when did the juice finish? When was our last David Simon fix? Last oh, year? God. Oh, but I think the juice finished before lockdown. No, really? Yeah, I think so. Oh, wowzers. Oh, this makes me really happy because that tweet will circulate again where that woman told him that he should watch The Wire. <laughs> he was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Woman's explaining. Exactly. Outside the box.